Okay, we're going to begin the city, Iowa City City Council work session for Tuesday, October the 16th, 2018. The first topic is to discuss expectations for the transit study. Jeff, are you going to say something first, or maybe Darian, or what? What do you have in mind? Well, we're really here to answer questions. Hopefully, you saw the memo that we authored in your information packet. Uh, just a quick update: we are putting the final touches on an RFQ, that's Request for Qualifications document. Uh, that is being reviewed by the university and by the city of Coralville right now. Once we get their feedback, we'll be able to put that out, and then that'll begin the consultant selection process. Uh, we'll select the consultant, and that consultant will help us uh, not only um, perform the transit study, but also uh, guide us in the development of the scope of that uh, transit uh, study as well. So. Uh, before we get into the, the consultant selection, I thought it was good that we just take some time tonight to discuss your expectations, your vision uh, for Iowa City Transit, because ultimately whatever you express as your vision will guide the scope that we choose and how we go about not only completing the study, but also beginning to anticipate budgetary needs. Uh, uh, probably won't see anything in this coming budget, but if we know that we're going to be shooting big for major enhancements to the transit system, we kind of have to set that up with this budget so that we're in a good position next year to um, devote some more funding towards uh, that service. I'd be happy to give you any specifics from the memo. Darian's here. She's been the one that's leading the RFQ process. We can answer questions and help guide the discussion, but ultimately, we kind of want to hear from you. Jeff, I'd like to see you uh, provide a, an overview of the memo, uh, because a lot of people watching on TV, they have no idea what's in the memo and probably wouldn't read it, so I think that would be helpful. Sure. Well, as you know, your strategic plan for 2018-2019 has an item specific uh, to transit in it. Uh, the exact wording is uh, to undertake a comprehensive assessment of the current public transit system and implement changes to assure that the service best meets the needs of the entire community. Uh, this, uh, this has been a, something that uh, we have heard expressed, uh, the need expressed by uh, many different uh, parts of the community. It hasn't just been a council-driven initiative, but we've heard from social service agencies, from business organizations, uh, individual employers, uh, affordable housing advocates, and community groups, and so on, that, that this is really needed, that we're at a, a point in time where we need to, to look hard at our transit system. Uh, additionally, as you look at all the master plans that we've recently completed, uh, climate plan, bike plan, parks plan, they all specifically mention how important transit is to the success of those individual plans, perhaps most notably in the climate plan. One of the major uh, components of the climate plan that the city has some influence over is on transportation. And, and in order to really achieve the goals, the pretty ambitious goals in the, in the climate plan, we have to work uh, to not only boosting the transit system, but boosting it in a way that are going to pull people out of automobiles and into transit and, and a combination of transit and bike and, and pedestrian uses. Um, that, uh, uh, again, is no easy task. Uh, in order to accomplish some of the ambitions of that climate plan, 
I, I'm not sure that just a route study and a tweaking of a route here or there is, is going to do. I think we're, if you really want to achieve those aggressive goals that we've set, you're probably looking at some very significant modifications to the transit service, which of course will come with a price tag. And that price tag um, <clears throat> may be sufficient. So when we talk things about Sunday service and expanded evening hour service, uh, which we've heard a call for for, for several years, uh, that takes that takes money, but that also makes transit more um, uh, inviting for, for people to, to choose as their primary mode. So what we've done is outline, uh, I've, I've outlined about seven or eight bullet points in the memo in terms of what we're going to ask the consultant to study. So there's really two parts to your discussion tonight. Uh, we want you to look at those bullet points in the memo and, and we're asking you, are there anything, is there anything else that you want us to look at? So among those things that we're, we're asking the consultant to look at, stronger coordination with neighboring transit agencies, specifically Coralville and the University of Iowa CAN bus system, and that's uh, including things like how our routes are planned and timed, the fares, the pass structure uh, for each of those entities, transfer policies, and the use of the downtown interchange. We want to uh, specifically target some of the large residential complexes that currently provide private bus service and see if there's ways that we can better work with those to serve those on the public system. We want to look at the conversion of our existing bus fleet to an all-electric fleet, again, uh, with the climate plan in mind. We want to look at expanding service levels. Uh, again, that includes Sunday service and, and evening and night hours. We want to look at uh, possibly changing the fare structure or the fare, uh, like the economic model of our transit system and looking at a zero f uh, fare system and what impact moving to a zero fare system would have on ridership. Better connectivity with bike and pedestrians. How do we configure a transit system so that we can uh, encourage those modes of transportation as well? Look at all of our bus stop uh, amenities to see what additional amenities are needed. And then we want to, to actively be thinking about the impact that autonomous vehicles will have on transit system and how we need to position our transit system uh, to evolve as the entire transportation industry evolves. So again, that's a, that's a list of kind of the special asks that we're making of the consultant. Of course, they're going to do ridership sur or rider surveys, community surveys, stakeholder interviews. They're going to analyze ridership data. They're going to do all the things that you'd expect, but those were some extra things that, that we were interested in. The university in Coralville may have uh, specific items that they want us to look at as well. And then finally, uh, and perhaps more importantly, uh, it's really for you to establish uh, a vision. And again, in, in order to meet your goals that have been set forth in the Climate Action Plan, I think you have to act big. Uh, and I, I think you have the community backing to do that. It's not to say it'll be easy, particularly on the financial side of things. It's going to take a a concerted effort to prioritize financial resources that are that are scarce, uh, and uh, um, that those conversations will be difficult. And will also probably take a uh, policy decision by the council to uh, maybe even shrink the geographic footprint of our transit system. So I, I kind of masked that in one of my statements here in the memo, one of our statements, which was. It talks about the intentional, intentional concentration of existing resources. So as you look at our system now, and we've, we, many of us have had these conversations, we run buses 
try to run buses to about every corner of the community and ridership levels vary considerably as you look at those different routes. If we really want to, um, uh, be, I think in order to achieve some of our ridership goals, we're probably going to have to look at shrinking that footprint and running buses in a more targeted fashion in those areas where we know there is strong demand for ridership. So those are some of the, the tougher decisions, but I'll read to you the vision statement that, that we put together that uh, we think will help you accomplish the goals of your climate plan. Again, that was kind of our, our starting point is let's assume that council wants us to achieve that goal in the climate plan. Here's what we came up with. Iowa City Transit is a sustainable, reliable, and safe transportation option that welcomes and connects all riders with economic and community opportunities seven days a week. Iowa City Transit will double 2018 ridership levels by 2028 through policy and investments that target and expand our level of service and eliminate barriers to access, potentially including the elimination of fares. As new buses are procured, Iowa City Transit will begin the conversion to an all-electric fleet. Again, this is a starting point for a conversation that you may or may not be able to finish in, in one evening, uh, but that's the type of vision I think you are going to have to articulate if you want to reach uh, the goals in, in your climate plan. Strikes me as a great start and provides ample room for us to discuss and see if we want to suggest modifications or direct modifications or anything like that. I have opinions, but I'd like to hear first from any of you about what you think. I, I had one question, and that is on the, this kind of summary statement uh, where we talk about doubling uh, 2018 ridership. What, what is the ridership level now? There, Gary Nagel-Gam, Transportation Services. Let me grab that number for you. As of fiscal year 2018, we finished the year with 1.5 million rides in Iowa City. And that's down a little bit from the previous year, right? It's down about, I'd say, 4 to 5%. Is that compatible with the rest of the U.S. or cities in the rest of the U.S.? I would say yes. There is currently a trend. Transit is trending down, not just in Iowa City um, or in the metro area. It is trending down nationally. I think there's a few factors. Um, one can point to uh, relatively low and somewhat stable gas prices as of the last few years. Um, also, I think there's a... Uh, I would say a blossoming of alternative transportation uh, modes. I'm thinking of transportation network companies, those sorts of things. So things are shifting currently, but certainly gas prices, I think that has been, for the trend at least that we've been seeing since uh, the decreasing trend since 2013, I think you, that can point mostly to gas prices. And a choice to use a single occupant vehicle or just automobiles versus transit, I should mention. Mm -hmm. So, anybody have uh, questions or comments for the only Gary question or about the vision the, statements? The only question that I would have prior to sort of articulating which of the bullet points that at least I would like to focus on, I know my friend Harry Olmsted has talked a lot about identifying alternative revenue streams, including the consideration of um, uh, ads on the buses. Um, is that something that would be part of the existing study, or would that be the type of thing that the council would have to provide further direction on? I, I haven't made my mind up on it, but I think we should least consider it. It's not currently within the scope, but it's certainly something that we could add to the scope, um, is to look for alternative revenue streams 
or some analysis of what some might be. And if we go to zero fares, we've got to be thinking about alternative revenue streams. My, my exactly, you're absolutely right. Um, my thought on that is we probably don't need the consultant to analyze those. Yeah. The consultant, because of the specialized nature of this type of study, is probably going to be out of state. And there are so many state-specific rules on what cities can and cannot do when it comes to fees and taxation. So I think if we know the service improvements that they identify, we can put a cost to that ourselves, or the consultant can help us put a cost to, to those numbers, and then we can, as staff, can figure out the revenue streams. Ads on buses, uh, that would be simple for us to do. Okay. Um, I mean, we could look at policies and other, other transit agencies because ads are, are, are fairly common and then price that out. I, I would say that overall that's probably going to be a very small revenue source um, in, in the grand scheme of things. If, if you're looking at Sunday service, night service, don't count on advertisements in our market here to, to get us there. How much do we get now from the rider? As of FY18, our fare revenues were 1.18 million, so about 100, or, uh, about a million two hundred thousand, approximately. Okay, and uh, you know zero fare is awesome, but do we plan where are we gonna get the 1.5 million from to make it zero fare? Even though, like, putting consideration that we are doing a study, we could need more buses, we could need, like, more drivers, more expensive will come. And now we're trying to eliminate 1.5. Uh, is there is a plan for where we can get that money from? I think the first thing that we need to identify, besides just the fair, um, the fair cost that we would lose, is the additional cost that we would incur, um, and those are all great questions. Um, I'm afraid we don't have the answer right now, but that's that's, um, okay. that's what we're we're trying to determine what those costs might be, and then to look for potential revenue sources from that point. Right. I, I think we've. We've identified some possibilities. We're not really ready to, to bring those forward. And again, it would probably take a couple of budget cycles to get us in a position to pursue something like that. But you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, if you eliminate if you eliminate the fares and you want to do Sunday service and you want to do night service and, and yeah. anything else that comes out of the study, it just becomes an increasingly difficult. What we'd like to do in this study is present you with, with those options and say, if we spent X number of dollars on Sunday service, here is what the projected impact to ridership would be. Here, who's going to be presumably using that service. And you can compare that investment option with a zero fare investment option, with a evening option. And you can decide which of any of those you want to pursue. Or you could pursue all of them. Uh, the more layers, obviously, the more expensive it is. But we're not here advocating. We're not quite ready to advocate for zero fare. Uh, we're not ready to advocate for Sunday service or, or any of the expanded services. We, we What we're saying is we need to engage in a process that helps us evaluate each of those options. I'm pretty confident that if the council is ready to prioritize transit, we can come up with some funding to, to make it happen. But you have to understand that the same dollars that would make that happen would be, it would it'd, it'd likely be the same dollars that would go towards affordable housing, would go to parks, would go to bikes. So I don't, I don't want to sit here and tell you it's going to be an easy process because yeah. it's not. But we in the study, I think we'd be, 
I think we'd miss an opportunity if we didn't at least evaluate all those options and present you as the policymakers with, with that data. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Just like, I don't want to see that we're getting from, say, the affordable housing fund so we can have transit. To me, housing is more needable than transportations or something like that. But as you said, it's not for the time for it right now, and we can discuss this later. I'd like to say this strikes me as a really bold vision, which I am generally completely supportive of. I admire the ambition contained in the vision. Uh, but I see uh, a long, uh, both long-term and short-term components to this vision. With regard to short-term components, it seems to me that whatever modifications we, need, we make need to enhance the quality of service that would be provided in the short run, especially with regard to lower-income people that we've, in a way that we've talked about before. We've got to modify routes and schedules and all that uh, and to enhance service provided to them. But in the longer run, uh, we have an opportunity to kind of really, um, what's the word I want after here, make a bold enhancement over time the, the, in a way that really helps us transform the transfer, uh, transportation system here in Iowa City and maybe in the region. Uh, but we got, um, when we think about it in the long run, we have to be thinking about the uncertainties associated with the long run, especially with regard to the rate at which autonomous vehicles come into play. You know, is it 20 years in the future or is it 10? I mean, we don't know. There's some uncertainty about that for sure. Uh, likewise, we don't know how quickly very high-quality electric buses will come into service. I think we don't know too much about varying sizes of electric buses and how they could be incorporated into the system over time. Uh, and we also have an opportunity to, and this is maybe another element that could be included, Jeff and Darian. Uh, um, we have an opportunity to also have the consultant consider this, um, the uh, connections with Cedar Rapids through the 380 Express and whether, whatever other enhancements or transformations um, accompany it over time. So, so that's my view uh, in general, and there might be details that I would change my mind about, but that's my general perspective. How about the rest of you? Maybe I'll jump in and, and comment. There's essentially three areas that I would really like to focus on. One, I think the zero fare concept is appealing. Obviously, there's a huge budgetary component to that, so that's all we need to be able to evaluate with, with a study. But within that, <clears throat> of course, the concept of more targeted zero fare events and things like that. I know that Harry also has mentioned that as a possible thing that we can explore. So I hope that we'll evaluate that in the short as well as the long term in terms of a zero fare option. The second thing is, I think of our <coughs> friends over in CAMBUS. Now, in some respects, it's unfair to compare CAMBUS to the, to the city of Iowa City. They have a different rate structure for their employees. Um, but that concept they have of every 15 minutes, um, what they're able to provide, I think really leads to that really high usage. And so at least I'd like to evaluate, you know, Jeff, you had talked about how we have the low volume routes on neighborhoods that typically don't use this. I think at least my thought is the concept is, is we're trying to really 
target more effectively the resources to those that really need and rely upon that transportation. So my second one would be to assess and study the higher volume and more frequent um, uh, bus routes. I know, Bruce, you had actually mentioned that your experience in Chicago when we had a conversation after you got elected, they don't go into the neighborhoods, for example. That, that's not something that I was aware of. So those are the sorts, and I assume the reason is, is they want to have that high volume more frequent so they can enhance the service in the more higher dense areas. So I'd love to evaluate that. And the third and final thing would be go big on the environmental piece of it. Obviously, there is an expense to that. I'm hoping, obviously, we can get the dollar figure on that. But even if we can't do a total conversion, much in the same way we've done with our city fleet, to perhaps test one or two models in the immediate future, I think would be a great concept so we can get comfort, get the numbers, get the maintenance data. So those at least would be my three areas that I'd like to focus on. How about the rest of you? Well, I would... Um Agree. The, the zero fare is, is an interesting concept. And as Rockney said, I think in a number of ways, I, I would hope we can test these ideas in terms of their full scope. You know, may not be ultimately uh, affordable to do the entire city as a zero fare. But, but I think, as, as Rockney was mentioning, there may be areas that really lend themselves to the zero fare concept. Um, you know, in addition to the the, the zero fare, uh, there are benefits to not having to collect fares on buses. They move faster. Uh, they're, they're obviously more equitable with the zero fare. And, um, you know, there, there's faster service. It, it promotes better service not to have to collect the fares at the same time that uh, the bus drivers are riding. Um, I, too, am interested in, in looking at how we can, you know, the network, kind of in the same way the, the bicycle master plan seemed to kind of create tiers of service. You know, we you know, identify where we do get the, would get the most increase in ridership and, you know, to the degree we can uh, mimic CAM bus. Mm -hmm. You know, those, those headways are critical. You know, the headways have to be frequent enough that people decide I'm just taking the bus. You know, it's it's reliable enough, it's frequent enough to make it work. Yeah, and likewise, the, the quality of the bus stops really matters. You don't yeah. want to be standing out in the snow and right. the wind and all that in wintertime. Uh, yeah, I, uh, to build on that, Jim, I, I think it's really important to think about with transit that every bus ride begins and ends with some degree of walking or bicycling. So it's not something isolated. You really need to... Again, it, it has to, if we're really serious about trying to encourage people to take transit, the experience has to be comfortable, it has to be safe, it has to be enjoyable, um, because it's not most likely in Iowa City going to be as efficient time-wise. You know, it's, we can hope, hopefully get it to be competitive, um, but with some limited circumstances, I would think it, it may not be able to compete merely in, in terms of the serv time service aspects, uh, although I think there are opportunities near the, the core of Iowa City to, to effectively um, compete with, with um, using the automobile. Um, the other thing I'd want to emphasize is, is using the transit study as a way of thinking about land use policy, because I think that is uh, something that, you know, we. we We've done a number of master plans, and you know there's a focus to them, which is almost necessary. But 
I don't want us to forget that transportation is intimately tied to land use. It can be a land use tool. You know, where those where we provide that better service will incentivize, you know, our the realization of some of our um, development uh, policies. So, so where we where we incentivize ridership, you know, that has a land use implication. And where we disincentivize it, it has a land use implication too. So it, it's very important, I think, to, to try to link the two together. Um, you know, we could be looking at corridor studies in terms of development, things of that sort that would, um, you know, take advantage of what transit will do in terms of uh, increasing you know, the desire to live in certain parts of Iowa City. Uh, one one word I would add to the kind of the, um, the summary statement might be Iowa City Transit is a sustainable, reliable, equitable, and safe transportation option, just to make sure we're uh, upfront and, you know, incorporate the idea of equitability in, into the, uh, the planning that we're embarking on here. It sounds like a reasonable thing to me. Darren, just a point of clarification. Am I right in remembering that CAM buses does not uh, charge fares because students pay for the CAM bus in fees? That is correct. Yeah, that's what I thought. We also do have one zero fare route, correct? We do. The downtown yeah, the shuttle, shuttle is yeah. our zero fare route, mostly geared um, towards college students. And it stays in the near downtown area. Yeah, is that both? We used to have a south downtown <coughs> shuttle and a north shuttle. Is it the same one? Just one now. Just one. Yep. Okay. It's pretty heavily used on the south yes, part, right? It is. It's very popular. And less so in the northern part of the, mm -hmm. in the north side. Yep. It's yeah. a very popular route. I just want to say that you know, for the people who are going to do the study, I hope you know. To include and bring the voice of all the residents of Iowa City, from a student's perspective to elderly people in the community, low-income people in the community. And so, yes, bring all the voice from all the people, bring the people from different you know, perspectives on the table of that decision-making so we don't leave some people out behind on this. Because it's, it's, it's really important to have the perspective of the low-income people who use Sunday transportations, or they work on Sunday, or students, or elderly people, and all those people. I hope those voices will be included on the. Sure. Yeah. Without getting into the nitty-gritty, I, um, I guess I'd look at this at this stage a little bit differently, maybe than than some of my fellow council members. But in terms of the memo itself and the approach, um, I like it. I'm I. I tend to be a cautious person, so I'm, I'm concerned about the bold aspect of that vision statement. Yeah. Um, I'm concerned that people don't, I'm concerned that people read that and think that, by golly, this is going to be done and there's going to be Sunday service and there's going to be, you know, 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. service. And, and so I, I do, I get concerned that people read that bold vision and take it as a concrete <clears throat> statement that, this is going to be done. And I think, um, as Jeff has said repeatedly, and I think we have to keep remembering, is there's going to be a lot of competition for these dollars. And so I don't have a problem with starting here and, and having this as our goal and what, what we want to try to achieve. Um, but I think we all have to 
just keep reminding ourselves that we, in all likelihood, unless um, a lot of money falls out of the sky, we're going to have some very, very difficult decisions in terms of prioritizing. Um, and one thing I'm sure that they will do, um, but I would just point it out, when we've talked a lot about the um, later night services and stuff, I would hope that some of our larger employers that are running, particularly like running second shift operations, um, are a big part of, or, or a part right. of Could be. Um, the, the groups that we talk to in terms of not just the companies, but the employees that work there. Um, there's, I think there's some possibilities. I hope that we also stay creative um, as part of this, where in some areas, like with, with some of those employers, maybe van pools versus fixed bus routes are just as effective and maybe much more efficient, not only financially, but maybe more efficient for the employees. Or you know, So I, I hope we're, we try to be creative with those things as well as we're looking at this whole transportation piece. I agree with Susan, really, we have to also to reach out to businesses because, you know, I remember I talked to the IOCT Croville Convention, Hotel Convention Bureau or something, and they told me that they are thinking to send a shuttle or a bus to West Branch so we can bring worker on Sunday from there because, you know, they couldn't, like all the employees who work Sunday, they cannot make it because there is no transportation. And this is, will be good to, you know, to bring the vision of uh, employer too because they, they will know if the people are, the employees are struggling or not. This is, this is something also good. And, but uh, I think the goal, that the whole concept of this, this study is supposed to be those bullet points where, uh, we want to study if we can do Sunday transportation. We want to study if we can do like uh, evening routes. We want to study if we can do all this. Uh, I think this is the whole concept. That's why we're doing this. And after we come out from the study, we can decide which one we can do it and which one we can not. Yeah. I agree with that because I think uh, the priority in, in the statement I thought was identifying the steps needed in providing expanding service levels, uh, whatever the need is found to be. And I think that the original intent in hiring a consultant was to help us find what that uh, need is going to be. Uh, I think we have a good idea of what that would be. Uh, I, I, I do like the idea <coughs> of, of having ads. Uh, on the buses, uh, of course, unlike something like Super Bowl commercials that generate a lot of revenue, uh, but we could maybe look into that and see what others charge and what they get, what their revenue is, and that might help us with some financial decisions also. So I, I do like that idea. Also, maybe in lines of some of the um, employers that have the need for Sunday service, perhaps working with them on on uh, providing uh, transit passes or something for their employees that, that need to utilize that. Yeah, you know, creativity clearly is going to be required with regard to revenue sources. I think overall, um, I, I think it's going in a good direction um, that, at least on the student side, um, you, looking at fares, um, increasing schedules, especially those evening nights, um, that you have a lot of students that um, potentially are studying um, on campus and need to get off campus, and there's that safety element. So. Um, that part and looking at that um, frequency, like 
was mentioned, routes. Um, one thing um, I'm not exactly sure if it, it exactly entails into the study, but um, looking at potentially um, the use of university IDs, um, that if students can tie that to the university bill, um, that would be an easy way to get more students um, involved. I don't know the complexities about that. But I think that's something to potentially look at. Um, I also would agree with John about land use, um, that generally speaking, um, uh, that land use is very much tied to transportation. Um, that um, one of the models that I think is really interesting is in Curitiba, it's classic example of bus rapid transit, um, where it's very efficient um, in terms of people getting on and getting off, and um, they used land use uh, as a component. Uh, obviously, they had separate bike lanes, which is kind of hard, or not bike lanes, bus lanes, which is kind of harder to do in like Iowa City. Um, but I think using that as a model would be an interesting way to look at things. Um, and, and additionally, I think uh, one thing um, that a lot of students are concerned with is the uh, Bongo application uh, app that it hasn't been working. I know it's part of the reason is because of construction, that there's been a delays, um, but just making sure that's in use. And I'm not sure if that's a smaller thing than the entire bus study, but I think I've heard that quite a bit from students. Bruce? In the... Um, in the write-up, I, I really appreciate it um, thinking big um, because I think we do need to look at um, the things in our climate goal um, to make sure that we're encountering all of that when we're doing the research. We can always titrate back uh, to what is actually um, a financial, you know, fiscal thing that we can do. What I will say is um, when we're talking about the private bus services in the community, I think, is great to um, talk to them as well. Um, Coralville, I understand, as well as the university, hasn't um, really made a, a, a total commitment to be a part of this study. Um, but that is in the works of getting something uh, in writing. Um, I would also encourage us to look at seats um, to see you know, their involvement, I think when I spoke to Susan, potentially there is um, requirements that um, if we go with night services and um, Sunday services, then CEASE will also have to provide it. There is other communities um, or uh, there's other um, communities that actually have paratransit, city transit, school transit within their one system. And so I would hope that that could be a part of this study, um, just to see if there's um, any way to collaborate. And again, I think um, anytime you're going to have frequent bus services um, where you don't have to watch your watch, you know, and go out 45 every 45 minutes or an hour, um, and you know something's going to be coming every 15 minutes, that's going to really encourage people to get out and ride the bus. Um, I know that uh, Maz had talked about uh, making sure that all voices are, you know, reached out to, because we're talking um, potentially of, at least from my experience, if it's really going to work effectively, you're going to be going to main roads mainly. Um, that's going to is going to come out of the neighborhoods, and so uh, there's going to be people affected. And so if they're at the table and they just kind of hear hear what's going on, then they they wouldn't mind not having that bus route, you know, two doors down from them, and they have to walk two blocks or three blocks. So I would encourage. Um, you know, just some open meetings with people in the community. Um, the zero fare, I love the idea. Um, I think um, it'll be 
um, a hard uh, financial uh, piece to figure out, but I do think that we can uh, figure it out. And it sounds like you know staff has some thoughts, and so I'm open to hearing those. But overall, I'm um, very happy to hear this is underway. A little discouraged by the time frame, um, but in order to do it right, it's going to take time. And so I. I, I you know, the sacrifice would be worth it. I don't know if there's anything that we can do in the interim um, for, you know, um, either Sunday services or, or fixed routes. I don't know. But um, I guess for this, I'm really encouraged that it's under, you know, it'll be underway. I would just add one other thing. Um, Bruce, I'm glad you mentioned it, and that's the schools. Um, I would hope that also as part of those stakeholders, we would really make sure that we're talking um, to the schools. And I know a few years ago we had a route that we we simply changed the direction in terms of, I think, when it, like when it left City High, instead of going downtown and them having to change, it went out through the neighborhoods first so kids could get home sooner and those sorts of things. So, um, and particularly as the school district is changing boundaries, um, if we have students in certain areas that are going to school further away from their neighborhoods, trying to take that into account potentially as we're looking at those routes. I have a quick question. Um, is North, since North Liberty is growing and expanding, is there going to be involvement with the North Liberty government? Or they've declined. Um, no, they don't want to be involved. They've, okay. de they've declined at this point. Okay. Jeff, to follow up on what Bruce had said about the unified system, I know I think that was Ames. I think that you had mentioned. Yes. Are there any limitations in terms of? And maybe this would just be something we defer later. But in terms of using seats uh, to allow non-disabled customers to use that or to share the resources in terms of like a Sunday service, or is that usually kept totally separate? Um, I, I don't know. I okay. have to, we'd have to look into that a little bit more. Because along with what Bruce was saying in terms of these are obviously super complex issues in terms of multiple jurisdictions and these sorts of things, but I think in terms of as we move forward, Bruce is right. We want to do it right. It's going to take time, but I would hope that we, if there are some interim things that come up, that we could evaluate those sort of moving forward, you know, especially like Sunday service is a good point. Yeah, the, the challenge with interim changes to our schedule is is one there's there's a lot more to it than just putting some more buses out there we've got to hire more staff we've got to have supervisors you got to have mechanics on duty there's a lot of buildup um, to to begin service say on Sunday um, and the other thing is is you're, you're then providing a service and you don't know if it's going to be sustainable long term and so the, the study may come back and tell you that this is really, as much as we want to do Sunday service, here's the projected ridership and here's the cost, and you may not see value in that. We'd like to see, we'd like to hope we see value in that, but you might be left with a situation in which the numbers clearly don't make sense. That money could better be used to help the system in some other way, yet you do have a small group of people that have become dependent on that service, and then you have to pull it back, and that's a very tough thing to do. That's why we're hesitant to do that for really those two reasons. I'm guessing you could say something similar with regard to electric buses. Uh, they require different kinds of repair and maintenance than ordinary buses do, and they would require a different recharge, recharging, refueling kind of system. So we'd have to be thinking about a transition rather than kind of suddenly leaping out and buying 
how, we have how many buses now do we have? About 28 28, total so buses. Instead, instead of buying 28 buses, right, we wouldn't do that. We'd buy maybe seven, at, at probably at the most, and then next time around buy another seven or some. I'm just throwing a number out there. Do a trans, uh, You want to talk about electric buses? And sure, yeah, no, I think I think those are wise comments. Um, in fact, we were just talking about an electric vehicle transition plan today, and that's something we're hoping that the consultant can help us um, outline because, you know, if we if uh, an electric bus arrived in Iowa City for use by our um, staff tomorrow, we would need staff trained on how to um, driving it. We should be able to cover that within 24 hours, I would say. But um, in terms of um, op operating it from a mechanical standpoint, we'd have to identify charging station locations. We currently don't have the facility um, to really work on electric buses, nor do we have the staffing um, and the education that we need because they're a different they're a different beast, quite frankly. But we, we would like to plan to get there, and we're hoping the consultant can really help us build that plan and help us understand what our needs are. Another thing we have to take into consideration is um, the electric vehicle fleets that are being built today um, tend to be taller than our buses. Uh, an advantage we have to the buses that, that we operate with today, the Gillig's, is that they are relatively short, and this helps us get under the railroad bridge that's on Iowa Avenue, um, adjacent to the EPB building. Um, so, And that's a major thoroughfare for our transit um, buses from all the systems, um, from all three systems. So something we're hoping to have the consultant um, help us look to is what would we need to change from a route perspective um, if we do want to transition to EV buses in terms of staffing, in terms of, um, you know, cost differential, routes, um, how would we um, have to compensate and, and move our routes, um, potentially looking at evaluating our interchange location. There's a lot involved, um, as you said, in, in the EV buses. It's not simply a plug and play. Let's just swap out the vehicle. So, but we're hoping to get um, some good steps and a good transition plan outlined. As I think Darian and Jeff both know, and Ashley surely does, the <coughs> Mayor's Climate Summit that was held in San Francisco about a month or thereabouts ago had a major initiative involving electric buses. Uh, a substantial amount of funding was discussed, and uh, I don't remember any details about it, but I think I shared some information with you all about it. So maybe there's something in that that we could take advantage of. The other thing I'll mention with, with bus replacement is we, we rely on federal funding for our, a good portion of our um, buses, and, and we really have to continue with that model. Um, so in terms of replacement schedule, I don't ever see it being something where we could flip a switch and replace a third of our fleet or, or two-thirds of our fleet with one round of purchases. We did just have a major purchase this past year um, because we, we had several stack up, but the, the, the replacement cycle for a bus is... 15, 20? Yeah, so our, the buses we just replaced with the new buses with a very nice paint scheme, um, that, those were 20 years old. Those are from 1997. So um, it does take some time. There's a, there's a stack ranking that the DOT holds um, of every transit vehicle in the state. And when your number floats to the top, as, they, as the state receives money, then they start allocating that out. And they do it to be fair. They do it based on a stack ranking. And that's age, condition, things like that. So. We don't have as much flexibility in acquiring fleet as we would like because the costs are simply so high and we really rely on that federal funding and state funding to, to make that happen. Yeah. But having that transition plan will help us so that we can be ready and we know the steps that we need to take in order to move to electric. 
So Jeff, I had a question on on those lines. We recently saw the plans for the new transit facility over there off of Gilbert and across from Terry Trueblood. Um, it would would we be able to still include in those plans uh, facilities for? Electric yeah. vehicles? Yeah. Is it too late to do that, or we'd be no, able to add that? We're not really even designing that close to it facility yet. yet. It's more of okay. just a concept or a massing study out there. So we're we're confident the building would fit, and then uh, once we saw that opportunity, we would get into design, and absolutely we would. Be yeah, we should probably consider that. Yeah. Those things, yeah. Jeff, I did hear you say um, interim service. It would be challenging to figure out that um, on various levels. Um, my thought would be. Since we don't have Sunday services currently, we really, you know, the study could be a little vague in data. Um, I wonder if there wasn't a way to do fixed routes just for even working individuals. Um, you know, and, but that's just an idea or a thought that I just throw out there. Yeah, the, the fixed, to do the fixed route then triggers seat service as well. Um, we just have to we'd have to build that for you what does that mean in terms of or hiring new drivers um, shifting or hiring new supervisory staff around to um, we, we'd have to really map that out to give you an idea of what it would take but it's going to be it, it, it's a lot of infrastructure particularly labor infrastructure to get a bus on the road and, and I guess ultimately, I, I understand that um, it was mentioned that we may have to sacrifice Sunday service. I guess I wouldn't be willing um, to really. Uh, of course, you'll come back with se several options, but I, I would. I think it'd be very um, wise that we figure out a solution for Sunday service. And even if we don't do it now, I think I, I would be okay sacrificing anything in the interim, as long as we're being very aggressive um, through this study. I guess I ask about this later, and you give us some number if we can provide Sunday transportation right now before the study, and with the bar seat. I guess, I, I don't remember the number, but I think right. you give us already a number when I ask for it to be done immediately before the study. Yeah, I don't know if you can give that, that number. numbers to you too. We, I, I asked about this before. But I think it was about a million dollars, wasn't it, Jeff? Yeah. Pardon? Wasn't it about a million per year? It, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't remember, yeah. Was that high, yeah. Well, you can provide us with some information yeah. about that, Jeff. Yeah, I could see what we supplied you. A year ago. He or? did so. He did give it to us when I asked for it. Hmm? I remember he did give it to us when I asked for it, but I don't know. No one was going, willing to go on that route, but you can do it again. Would, would this study, you know, I, I kind of view this as in, in the big picture, what we're talking fundamentally about is access and opportunity. Mm -hmm. as it relates to mobility. And transit is one potential means of providing access and opportunity. If we were to find that uh, Sunday service, just the cost was, was too much, at least on a citywide basis, um, I would imagine we might want to, we could look at, at Sunday service on a more limited scope or possibly alternatives to transit as a Sunday service, the idea of vouchers or some, what other options, if any, are there for providing people with access and opportunity on Sundays if 
if a private automobile is not an, oper you know, an option for them. Um, well, I think one, if you're asking the question now, or I'm not sure if you're asking for it to be yes. included in the study, but I would say one that comes to mind that we actually have included in the draft scope for the study is um, to evaluate ways we might be able to partner with transportation network companies or right. cab companies. Yeah. And yeah. that could be potentially something that we could do. We could evaluate in the interim that would not require such a significant capital investment mm -hmm. um, in terms of staffing and additional equipment. But that could be something that we could evaluate in the interim. Yeah, that's exactly what. Yeah, we've had some discussion about that yeah. over the past several years, and that, that strikes me as being a very good idea. I would agree. Yeah. Hey, John, did you mean like while they're doing the study, or you mean now? What's that? Do you mean like evaluate Sunday transportation while like uh, while they're doing the study, or now? Or immediately? Or immediately? As part of the study, but I mean, if any of these things can be peeled off, you know, it would be. Uh, I mean, the the TNC wouldn't doesn't have all that infrastructure that Jeff has been describing. Yeah, I just want to make sure if you want to do it now, it would be great. So yeah. <laughs> we have three people interesting. Maybe we're going to get the four. Uh, yes, checking. Well, yeah. well, we need. We would need to know, have some cost estimates, and we're deeply into the budget year already. So suddenly increasing the amount of expenditures during the budget year can create big difficulties. So. We need to be thinking about that as well. Yeah, and I understand. But you know, I really presented early in the beginning of the year, beginning of the budget. But it wasn't like a lot of interest. But I'm, I'm glad that some people now try to think about it. Maybe even if we didn't do it through the budget early on in the year, at least I see some interest now. Now that's make me happy. I mean, mm. And if if the study lends itself to understanding the demand side mm -hmm. for access, I think then. But maybe at that point, there might be an opportunity to explore or test, you know, different ways of addressing that need for access once we understand the demand side better. I think that'd be an excellent way to find out what the true need is, what, what the ridership is out there, get the numbers. I think it's a good idea. Okay. It seems to me you've gotten a lot of good feedback here, Jeff and Darian, and I'm sure you'll be able to incorporate it into the revised draft RFQ, is that what it would be? Yeah, and thanks for putting it together. I mean, the, even this briefing has been very helpful. So I want to make one tiny suggestion that is has to do with language. On the, what I take to be a very bold vision statement, which I embrace, all right, it starts, Iowa City Transit is a sustainable da-da-da, is. But everything else is in the future tense. So that just doesn't make any sense. How about Iowa City Transit will be a sustainable, reliable, equitable, and safe, and so on. Then everything's in the future tense. Very good. Okay. Anything else? No. Great. Good discussion. Thank you, Darian. Thanks, Jeff. Real quick, the next step on this will be, we'll, as the staff will issue the RFQ, we'll uh, go through that process with Coralville and the university, and then that contract will ultimately come back to you for final approval, so you will see a final scope of study before we start the process. Great. Okay. Let's move on to clarification of agenda items. Oh, okay. I guess I've been asking all this. 
I want to just begin with the late handout. Jeff, there was a, y'all probably saw it in the late handout. There was an email from Terry Miller Chait and a couple other members of the Idlewild Board of Directors concerning recent high water and implications for Idlewild and so on. And uh, I talked with Jeff about it, and I think Ron's going to address that right now. Maybe Jeff has something else to say. Sure. Um, yeah, just to kind of give a flood update of where we're at right now, uh, Ron Kanaki, Public Works Director. Um, you know, the, 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 the latest, uh, you know, where we're at today, luckily, uh, the rain events have, have, have all passed us. We're in a dry spell. Um, the core is going to hold the reservoir at 12,000 CFS, uh, which ultimately ends up being about 12,500 at the outflow structure because of the elevation. Um, the reservoir will peak um, overnight, uh, 17th, 18th, so about midnight is kind of the way that the, where the graph shows it right now. Um, and the reservoir will peak at 7, 10.9 elevation, so about a foot. 1.1 feet below the top of the spillway. So um, we're, we're in good shape as, as we're looking at there. Uh, that 12,000 CFS, they'll hold that as long as the forecast shows right now until the reservoir starts dropping a foot a day. And when it starts dropping a foot a day, they'll start pulling back or dialing down on the outflow to keep the sloughing from occurring on the banks of the, of the reservoir itself. So um, we're um, to the point right now where uh, things look very good. Um, you know, the the letter that we have re received from Idlewild um, refers back to an event that occurred about, about a week and a half ago. Um, at that time, we weren't looking so well. Um, uh, that, that forecast that we had um, for that, that Friday-Saturday event, um, we were the, the Corps was projecting at that point in time that, that they were going to be at 20,000 CFS um, at the end of their forecast period. Um, they were holding uh, the, the reservoir at 10,000 outflow at that point in time, and they were looking at starting to ramp up to the point where we were going to be at 20,000 CFS coming um, down, down the river. Um, so uh, with that, um, on that Friday night event, uh, they were holding at 10,000 CFS. There was some forecast of um, large rain events occurring. Um, so there was three to four inches of rain that occurred that evening, um, which then um, increased the flow to about 16,100 at the Iowa City Burlington Street gauge. Um, that's because of Clear Creek, Rapid Creek, the other tributaries that come in below the reservoir um, outlet structure um, were increasing um, the flows at that point in time. Um, we, we have a, a flood information sheet that we work off of as far as kind of what elevations are kind of action elevations for us. Um, you know, ev even at that uh, 16,000 CFS, it's about 23 foot roughly at the, at the Burling Street Reservoir, or the Burling Street Gauge. Um, you know, we're, we're still not to a point where we're, we're, there, there's a lot of concern um, for us. In, in the community, um, you know, the information that we have here, Idlewild uh, themselves, the, the, the low point that we have identified in, in their neighborhood um, on Idlewild Drive is about uh, 20, 26 and a half uh, gauge elevation. So there was three and a half foot or so that the river would have been below their low point in their neighborhood. Um, and I think. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing that they start off is, is they talk about eminent threat. You know, at the point in time when, when we were, you know, in that 
we the, we didn't view that there was an imminent threat of their neighborhood. Obviously, going you know not going into the night, we had no idea what the rain event was going to bring. Um, but you know, but it did bring the, the river flows up to 16,000 CFS. You know, but, you know over that time period. Um, you know, we we did have conversations. Um, you know, throughout the weekend and into the, into the beginning of the week um, with them to um, you know address um, the idea of HESCOs, to address the idea of pumps. Um, there was um, communication that did go back to them with those things, and and I, I think you know the, the learning the learning thing for us right now is obviously we do need to have a better line of communications with the neighborhood, um, and it, it, I think it's you know we're we're in a unique situation. This is the first uh, event that we've had where um, their protection system that they've implemented themselves has has really you know gone into action as far as an event goes. Um, they're also in a situation where they've had some turnover in their board, so the folks that um, implemented that that act, you know that. that plan um, no longer sit on the board so there's some transfer of information that's occurring there as well as transfer of information that's occurring um, for us locally uh, and then also with the Corps of Engineers the um, the current hydrologist at the Corps is is also taken over from a gentleman that was here in 2008 so you know we're, we're all in a learning process as we move forward on this um, you know, the you know, as, as, as we as we look at the peak, uh, so that that, that peak at uh, at the Burling Street gauge, of 16,000 was 23.23 feet, um, which would be the seventh highest crest of the Iowa River all time. You know, so you know, we, it was it, it's an event that obviously you know is an event to to, to be um, aware of, um, but I don't think at the time when we were going into that evening that that that's what where the forecast would have been uh, and where we would have been into an action item uh, for their neighborhood. If I could just re reiterate or add a couple of things. One, the letter claims that there was no communication. That's factually inaccurate. There was communication, um, but to say that communication could approve is is accurate. And I think this is an opportunity for us to to reach back out to the neighborhood and and talk to them. Uh, as Ron mentioned, there was probably a level of concern that they had that we didn't share, and that probably led to some um, anxiousness on their part. Uh, they did. This was the first test of the private flood system that they that they built. And and one thing that, at least in our opinion, from from watching from outside of the neighborhood, is uh, I, I'm they, I'm not sure that they took this. Some of the steps they took may have actually put them at more risk than um, than if they were to take if they didn't take any of the actions. So what what it really showed to us is that we need to get on the same page with them as. Uh, in terms of their flood plans and when they're triggering certain things like closing their gates or bringing in pump stations uh, because that not only impacts their neighborhood but it impacts the, the surrounding area around Idlewild too and we've got some concerns with with um, how those situations were handled so um, we'll, we'll, we'll build on this we'll reach out to them you know we're already in a process of working through a stormwater project with them we had a very I think positive public meeting with them a week or two ago uh, on our diversion project and where we talked about um, the pump station that they're interested in, in securing so um, I, I think we we are building on a, a, a positive relationship here um, but you know again I, I just I disagree with the characterization in the in the letter that there was no communication because that was not the facts. Uh, well, I'd like to say I completely understand their anxiety, especially at that particular moment. Uh, but as you said, Jeff, we really need to reach out to them, 
work through whatever the complications and uncertainties were that they were experiencing, try to fix whatever that communication problem was so that we'll be able to do it better next time, because there will be a next time. Jeff, how much uh, cooperation has there been with the University of Iowa and the residents? Do we know that? I assume that there's been, the university's been a part of that. Are you aware of any communication they've had with the university? Because obviously they're a big stakeholder down there too. With, with just flood response in general? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I assume that the University of Iowa would have an interest in terms of how Idlewild is handling their flood situation or not. Even though they're Ron, downstream. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'm not sure it impacts the university. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a, a large impact there in regards to, the, you know, the, the, the flood um, mitigation project that they've put in place really doesn't have an overall impact on the okay. river elevations themselves. Yeah. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know how much outreach there's been with the university uh, flood, you know, flood group on that. I was going to say that I think communication with them is extremely important, and I know you have been communicating with them uh, regarding the development up north of them off of Dubuque Street, the Forest View area, because I think that's going to become even increasingly more important with any sort of stormwater diversion, and I know you've got some plans in there, but keep them posted on that to alleviate any fears that they have. Yeah, and you actually have an item on your consent calendar related to that project. Uh, Ron and Jason and uh, and I had a meeting uh, this afternoon to review that project. It seems like we'll be able to bring some plans and specs to you this winter so that we are in a position to pursue that project next year. And uh, we think that the neighborhood's, you know, going to be fully behind it. Good. So um, we'll meet with them and we'll, we'll clear the air, so to speak. Good. Were you referring to the email from James White about a alleged quote tunnel? Uh, well, that is that's on the correspondence, but your um, oh, it's not on the. Well, <laughs> we have item nine. Uh, we must have pulled the Idlewild item. Yeah, what I was referring to is item nine H. Yeah, which that's was an the email from James White, mm -hmm. who lives on Taft. We had an amendment to the uh, contract. We must have. will be on the next. Agenda. We must have pulled that, and for your next agenda. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's it's a consent item, but the point being that we're moving forward on that particular project. And, and, as, and as a part of that, as a part of that diversion project, uh, we will bid uh, the pump station as an alternate to that project. So so the pump station that they refer to in their letter is included as an alternate, and that will be included as an alternate in that bid package plan. Make sure they know. <laughs> yeah. That's a commitment we made to them. Yeah. a year or so ago. Okay, any other questions of Ron or Jeff about this? Okay, any other questions about agenda items? Jim, I have a question about 8J correspondence from Martha Wickert, and this may be better for discussion on pretending work session topics. Um, you know, when we passed these new restrictions, um, what was it, last fall, um, we sort of identified this as sort of a li living, breathing change to a lot of our rental regulations. Um, I think, you know, Susan, you identified it as sort of a living document. I think we all sort of agreed with that, but by the same token, at least the way I sort of felt, we also didn't want to immediately change policy based upon the first person who ran into a problem with um, a, a new reg that we had in relation to rental units. But this strikes me as something that at least I would like to explore, um, this question of, and just for the public, what do we do with single family units? Right now we were requiring a permanent separation for those single family homes if you're running, if you're administering it as a duplex. 
the intent would appear to be to prevent over-occupancy, at least as I see it, in those units. I think that's a valid concern. But then I go back to what Martha had talked about, which is, um, you know, really possibly prevent reconversion to a single family in the future if there's a big expensive change that they would have to make. It's a complicated issue. She identifies, at least in page two, is maybe maybe some criteria that we could work with in terms of a possible grandfathering in older properties. Um, this obviously isn't something that we could spur the moment decide here, um, but. I would at least like to further explore that or maybe get your comments now, Jeff, just for purposes of a possible targeted work session. Because my understanding, staff has said, well, if there needs to be a change, it would have to come at the council level. Yeah, it's, uh, Stan's going to give you a little bit more background on, on this. And, um, you know, we wouldn't have brought that code change to you if we didn't think the yeah, duplex thing, issue was a problem. And, and it could be a loophole that could be exploited, but Stan can walk you through that. Yeah. Right. Stan. Hi, Stan Lopperman, Senior Housing Inspector. Yeah, and obviously we sympathize with what she's trying to go through. Um, the problem is that if you create a loophole for her in that situation, um, it opens that up for a lot of people that, yep. you know, specifically addresses what we're looking to eliminate. And we're not asking her to make a complete permanent change. There's ways to encapsulate um, the pocket doors that we're talking about to uh, create that physical separation while preserving it. So um, additionally, there, there's concerns about uh, flipping back and forth, being used as a single family one year versus a, a, a duplex another year. It's actually not allowed under our code, so we need to be a little more clear on that as we okay. communicate that information to her. Because as you convert to a single family, to go back to the duplex, there's higher standards, higher separation to do that the next year. So. Uh, well, there's some communication that needs to happen there. So are, are you going to reach out to Martha? We'll reach out to her again, yes. We've yeah, been and try to work, work through those concerns. I thought she raised several yeah. completely legitimate concerns. Right. Uh, so if there's a way to resolve most of them, that'd be great. I'm also wondering, is there an appeal process for, you know, like Board of Adjustment or whatever for topics like this? Well, I suppose if she asked for a rental permit and we denied, it would um, probably go to the Board of Appeals. Right, yeah. Board of Appeals. But, but their, their, their scope is very technical in nature. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that, the, yeah that's why I was thinking know, they're, not gonna, they're not going to change the code to satisfy that. I don't think that's probably a... And that's where I think we're at, and that's why you keep hearing from her. I, I don't think there is compromise left. I mean, we're, we're interpreting the code... Um, as it was written and as it probably needs to be. So you're getting the appeal now because we've kind of hit a wall yeah. um, and, and we, said there's We have really given her options. Um, she doesn't feel their options. Um, and it does limit the use of the property in the future. Um, I, I, I don't deny that. Um, but at the same point, it's, it's in a zone that uh, you could see some expansion uh, that we don't necessarily want to see. So I think it's important to... Yeah limit and, and keep it what it is. 
It, it is unfortunate, I think. If there isn't anything we, we can do for her, because uh, she also raised some some fire and safety concerns. I don't know if you're sure. Uh, uh, I think if you're helping her with those. Right. There's there's fire concern, but there's also personal safety concerns. So, right. uh, which we're trying to balance out there. And uh, you know, duplex units should function as two separate duplex units. You shouldn't have communication between those two units. And that you know that is a concern that has been raised in the past of one tenant you know having access to another tenant's unit. So that. That was another thing that we were trying to address through this. Mm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this this property has acted as a de facto single family unit because of the the open communication. Um, if she converted it to a single family, she's not losing occupancy. Well, and you know, any change you make to the code is going to apply to any subsequent owner. Sure. So yeah, precisely. Mm -hmm. No, and that's the thing is I understand this is a completely complicated issue. I, I think the only thing that I was hoping is not necessarily that we could decide it tonight, but maybe whether there could be a tightly craft, and it may be that a tightly crafted exemption just isn't possible because I think we do have to apply our zoning code fairly, and we don't want a situation where all of a sudden the um, exception swallows the rule, and so maybe that we as a council decide we can't do that. Um, I, I just kudos to Martha on this. It just seemed like a very well-developed letter. I know that you guys had a lot of thoughtful exchanges and tried to work with her. Um, so that's sort of what I'm getting at, is is, is, is there any interest, or is, do you think we could evaluate an exception? Um, and then we may decide it's not viable. I, maybe this would be more for our work session topic time, Jim. I don't know but if we were going to evaluate an exception, the staff would have to craft an, a well, proposed exception for us. And, you know, I mean, we could do that, but that's that's what would have to ha take place. You know, other than an exception that says this house and this location and we can't do that, I just don't see that there's a viable code change that can, can address this particular circumstance and limit it to this particular circumstance. I just don't, I don't know what that is. Well, she had proposed a, um Occupancy that she proposed a grandfather clause with certain criteria determined by the council as workable, i.e., occupancy not over a certain number. Would that run into a regulation of unrelated people? And so I think, in other words, she's saying that if there aren't, I think the concern would be if you have two or you have duplexes and that it's permeable, you're going to have X number of whatever type of person in there and it's going to become a lot of people in a unit that's not designed for that. But I think what she's saying is that if there were under a certain number of residents, maybe they wouldn't have to do the duplex. Is that is that not workable or? I, I, and I don't that, mean to put you on the spot. Right, and that's that why we're talking about a subsequent her, work. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I'd look at Eleanor this. If she agreed to that, you know, future redevelopment of that property, would they be held to the same standard? Um, th that's my concern. I think Martha has the best intentions for the house. Yeah. My concern is I don't feel that Martha's going to own it forever. Yeah. Uh, and then the Precisely. possibilities of what this property could be in the future is what we really have to watch Precisely. out for. And then the idea is to get these converted back to what they originally were. And I realize it's been a duplex since the 50s, but there's a lot of past sins that we're still living with from the 50s that it's nice to, to correct when we have the opportunity. Okay. And I think occupancy is just, I mean, the regulation of occupancy is just... With what the legislature has done. Well, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not oh. particularly concerned okay. with that. It's just one of the nice upsides of having to respond to the legislation was getting away from enforcement based on occupancy, right. yeah. which is a tough Very thing to do. Yeah. Okay. 
it's not clear that we have specific guidance or instructions other than try to work through this as best it can be done. We'll give it another shot. Well, yeah, I think I think if you want us to draft a code a, a, a amendment, we can do that. You just have to realize that it's probably going to open the door for all these duplex situations. And, and I'm not saying that I do. I, I was just wanting to explore a subsequent work session, and we may all decide that it's not viable. So, Here's what I would suggest. If you, my concern is when, you, when we start getting these letters, it is very easy to only see one side when we first read Precisely. it and, and think that somebody has an absolutely legitimate great idea yes and then you sit down with staff and you start seeing the other side i mean mm -hmm. i i just remembered getting totally blindsided when i first got on school board one time yeah, with yeah. siding with a parent and then i talked with staff and it's like oh man did i make that mistake so it, rather than a whole work session what i would suggest is if you have a real strong conviction of trying to do something, I would suggest you maybe sit down with Stan and, you know, maybe play that devil's advocate and see if you can come up with something. I'm not convinced, and, and I'm not sure I want to start having staff try and draft exceptions for everybody who writes a letter. Precisely, and I think that's why I think this was at the end of a process where, you know, again, I, I did want to have a work session before we even decide whether to do it. So I think you bring up yeah. a good point, so. Um, you want to follow through on Susan's? I would follow through. I'll meet with staff with Jeff's yeah. approval on that. I think that makes sense. Okay. You might just be more comfortable then of yeah. where precisely what we, what we can or can't do. Yes. Okay. And we're ending up. We're ending or we're at the end of a period of enforcement with her, but we'll extend that out while we have those conversations. Okay. I think that'd be great. Yep. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Dan. Yep. Let's see if we can move on. I don't know if there are any other questions yes. about agenda items. Are there? Yeah, I have uh, item number 888A. Jerry Award, you know, the uh, suggestion that he, he just said, since we have transportation here, and the city mayor can comment on that, uh, if we can allow free public transportation on election day. And, yeah. We do plan to have free transportation with our transit system on election day to help everybody get to the polls. Okay, great. Yes, yeah. we just um, started. Like an answer to your question. Yes. <laughs> Is that the first time we've done that? Uh, as far as I'm aware. Terrific work, guys. That's I don't awesome. know if that's um, a fact, but as far as I'm aware, we're actually putting together some information um, currently to sh indicate where the polling places are, what the closest transit routes are. We're working with communication staff, so you should be seeing um, some that's information terrific. coming out, um, social media, website, press releases very wow. soon. Assuming this goes well, I would imagine we would keep doing it at every other general election in the future until somebody said, don't do this. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great plan. And is Terry Trueblood included? If Terry, well, Terry Trueblood is a polling place. Is Terry Trueblood, I guess that would be my yes, question. Yes, it is. I'm going to have to look at the list. Um, I don't know if we have a route that's that one. We might not have gotten to that one in the betting so far. Sure. Um, we may have to uh, potentially evaluate another alternative for that because we don't currently have transit down to True Blood. And there's a large population of minorities that live yeah. in, in the section where that's their polling place. and they rely on public transportation to get there and so that's just something i want you to be aware of the, the, are you talking about the the mobile home 
Actually, it's uh, uh, like the Broadway Teller area. Yes, certainly. That's their polling place. Yep. Okay. We will take a look at that a little more closely. Thank you. We're in the middle of the vetting process, so. Great. Good deal. And also, I have Ed E. I know you, you know, Mr. Meyer, you maybe already replied to this, but I just thought like a cool idea. A fifth grade student in California, she like a postcard from you, which is, you know, uh, that's something like cool to be done. I just want to point it out. But I'd be happy to send her one of our Iowa City postcards. There's yeah. no address. There wasn't oh, the there address. Was no address. No. Well, I, we can send it anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe by she wanted by email. I don't know. Yeah. Anything else in terms of questions? No. Thanks. All right. Let's let's move on to the information packets. The October 4th packet, anything on that? No, I don't have. IP2, I think was in that one. I was pleased to see uh, the designation of Chrissy and the shelter house staff to provide the case management services uh, for the Hawkeye Trailer Court residents, because um, this was very helpful with the Rose Oak situation. And although this is uh, smaller in numbers, I think displacement of any amount of people is not ideal. And so I do hope for a smooth transition uh, in housing for those for those residents. IP3, I want to thank Gustav for providing us with their renter's guide that they did for the students. Um, certainly lots of information in there in terms of, you know, different l- landlords um, in terms of what response you got from, from various tenants and stuff. And just lots of other, um, you know, really good information. Um, one thing I would encourage um, your group to do at some point, if you you know have people who have the time and energy, is to look at the state of Kansas um, tenant landlord laws. Have you looked at that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. One one of the things that they have that I think is one of the best things is the landlord has to wa- do a walk through with the tenant within the first three days to sign off on the condition of the apartment. And if they do not do it within those first three days, they cannot keep any of the security deposit, regardless of the condition. Um, it, it takes away a lot of the um, discrepancies between the tenant and the landlord about the condition mm-hmm. of the unit when the tenants move in. So just one little piece. Oh, yeah. Um, I actually want to talk a little bri- briefly about the renter's guide. Um, that it was a survey we distributed. Um, I mean, the information's all there, but just to get the context. Um, survey uh, distributed um, last spring um, for about the 2017-2018 um, rental year, um, per se. And basically, all of this was um, just a way to kind of relay information in a quantitative manner um, and not ta- not favoring any landlord or property management company, but simply just supplying that information. So just want to put that out. And yes, the move-in, I think it's a move-in checklist where they have to. And I, I remember looking at that and definitely something to look more into. 
I also wanted to comment on that item and, and uh, thank you for that. Uh, appreciate the, the effort it must have taken to distribute the survey and, and then to tell you the results. And of course, the results weren't, uh, weren't really surprising uh, uh, regarding high rent rates. We kind of expected that. But, but what I was really disappointed to see was the, uh, so many items, uh, lack of heat, lack of air conditioning, mold, odors, uh, those kinds of things. And worst of all, the bats. There were a couple of mentions of uh, bats in the apartment that not much was done about, uh, which is concerning. And the other thing that concerns me then is that uh, with the majority of apartment renters being students, uh, I have to wonder what kind of impression we're, we're leaving on them uh, as they're living here and being, being treated like that. Uh, I, I don't think that's what we really want, the impression we want to leave on them as, as they go off and after they graduate. Um, so I think landlords need to take note uh, of these uh, items and it, because everybody deserves a safe, healthy, clean, uh, comfortable environment to live in. And uh, as we continue to approve many, many multi-unit uh, apartments and developments, uh, we need to consider that as a, as a city, uh, uh, how we can make it a better experience for not only students, but, but all renters. Mm -hmm. So I, I appreciate your results. Anything else on that packet? If not, how about the October 11 packet? Rockney, I'm looking at IP5 pending work session topics. Yep. I know you had something that you wanted to bring up. Yes, I just wanted to follow up on our discussion of uh, a couple weeks ago where we expressed some concern about a fabulous program, um, but we want to try to see if we can make it better, um, the home program. Um, I think we all agree that the um, intent on that program is great, which is to strengthen some of the existing housing stock um, in the southeast part of our community, um, in particular near Taylor Drive is my understanding. Uh, although in talking to some of the residents, there's been some concerns about whether some of the existing renters could be displaced. And it's my understanding that um, staff currently doesn't have the authority uh, to be able to evaluate possible um, barriers to homeownership for the existing residents that are on site. Um, so what I would like to do is to do a short work session, uh, work session to evaluate um, possible additional ways that the city could assist the, the existing residents um, to occupy and, and to purchase those properties. Not necessarily gonna talk about all the solutions tonight, um, but I'd like to put that on actually the next work session agenda. Um, essentially, it would be two weeks. Um, what I'd like to do then after, if I do get the support from other counselors uh, to put that on the agenda, um, I'd float a memo that I've received from the Black Voices Project. It's good constructive feedback. I'll do that probably tomorrow. Staff should have more than ample time to respond to that and also encourage the community also to weigh in too. It's, it's really a great project. We just want to make sure that, uh, that the project is a really success and that um, we can turn a possible negative into a, a, a real positive. Um, so I'd like to get that authority to put that on the next work. Because I understand that there's some time frame that at least I think that um, the Housing <laughs> Coalition is, is working with in terms of needing to sort of get our feedback relatively quickly. I was second that. What do the rest of you think? I would agree with um, continuing a work session discussion because it, it seems as though and what I've been hearing from the community is there's uh, some fear out there as far as the, that the city's going to swoop in there and buy up all these properties and just kick everybody out. And, and I'm trying to 
calm them down and say that's that's not it at all. And so I, I really think it would be a good idea. Yeah, I, I think it would be, too. Tracy, do you want to speak? I'm going to say a few words before you actually start talking. Maz and I had a lengthy conversation about uh, the... Um, uh, the equity tool, the application of the equity toolkit, and then the particular situation in the South District and the proposal about uh, two duplexes per possibly being purchased and so on. And uh, I've reread the toolkit application very carefully and think that there are, I think I see a couple particular features of it that could possibly be modified. And I would want to have that discussed as well mm -hmm. in the work session. So I think that there's merit in having a work session to kind of go through it and make sure we're on board about that. And by, by the way, I want to reemphasize, I thought that was a brilliant application of the equity toolkit to that particular situation. It's just a nuance, right, a detail that matters. I just wanted to add that staff did take a drive through Taylor Drive. We identified the properties that we thought we could rehab in the budget that we had that we could sell it for home ownership. And when we sent that letter, like we did, like the university, we will put in that letter that we're prioritizing units that are either vacant or where the tenant has already notified the landlord that they're not renewing it. So our goal is to minimize that we're not displacing anybody. So it's very we, important to be clear about that. Yeah. So if we don't have that, then we could come back and talk to you. But if we do find units where, like I said, that are either vacant or where the tenant has already basically said they're not releasing, then would you have the same concerns if we're able to find that? Well, well, I think for me, though, I think it's to expand the opportunity to the existing residents that, that do want to buy. So I think there are some existing renters that, mm -hmm. that would like to participate in the program. And so it's, yeah, I think we'd still have the concerns that they would like to participate in the, in the homeownership. I'm concerned that we're, if we get into this, we're going to have a, a, an extended conversation right here and right now, and I'd rather we actually do it in a future well, work session. That's why I requested yeah, for right. the work session. So I would support us. So just to clarify, because we're going to plan on sending that letter now, so we're looking for people that... Well, I, think I, you're, I think you're still okay to send the letter. Um, we'll, we'll work through the... I think I know where council's going on yeah. this, and I think there's a path forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I would also be in agreement with the work session. Sure. Yeah, yeah that's at least supported as well. So, yeah. All right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, any other uh, items in that information packet? IP 11, I was uh, happy to see about the bus shelter revitalization. Uh, uh, three years ago, we, when we were all campaigning, we heard uh, many concerns about the need for shelters. Mary, if you're out there, if you're listening, Mary. thank yeah, you. Going. I hope it's coming to tuition for you here, because uh, it was throughout the city. But so slowly but surely, uh, we are making headway on this, which is good. Thank you. Yeah, I, I echo your comments, Pauline. Uh, Mary Gravitt, if you're listening, thank you so much for the work that you've done in terms of this advocacy. I think this is a classic example of a community member uh, really reaching out to council and identifying a very targeted solution. Uh, and it was also then the, the, the cooperation with staff, the way the staff responded to that. And it wasn't just Mary, of course. There's a number of different people have identified that. Um, but she really spoke out on behalf of a lot of, the, of her people that she rides the bus with. And um, I'm really looking forward to taking a tour and spending some time in the, in the shelters. I'd like to mention three information items for the, from this packet. So uh, one's IP number six, the memo from Ann Russett concerning the downtown historic survey. 
I don't want to talk about the survey right now because we're going to have a special work session on it, what, next Monday? Is that right? No, Tuesday yeah, because they're, Tuesday. yeah. Uh, yeah, the 25th, right? Uh, but it's an excellent 56-page report, and anybody who's interested in historic preservation downtown and the issues associated with that <coughs> should take a look at that particular document. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I'd on, like a hard. I, huh? I, I, I was just going to ask, could I have a hard copy of that? I'd, I'd also like a hard copy if I could. Thank you. Yeah, uh, Bruce, uh, Maz, y'all can yeah. get one too if you That'd want be one. Great. An IP8, uh, something about uh, somebody being sworn in at a ceremony <laughs> and stuff. Be? Yeah, so it was a really lively ceremony and really fun <laughs> to, to witness and actually play a small part in. So uh, it was awesome, yeah. And the last thing I wanted to bring up is IP10, the KCI, KXIC radio interviews. We need to fill out some details there. So I'll... Right? Yeah, so I'll leap right in. September 26th was my last turn, so, and I'm going to be out of town on November 7th, so I'd be happy to do the one right after November, what's that, the 14th? I can do the 21st. I was hoping to do the December 5th and January 16th. I'll do December 19th and January 9th. I can do January 2nd. I can do November 7th. And what do you have left in January? January. 23rd and 30th. But I'll do the 23rd. Remember, we had talked about uh, having staff people every now and then participating. So that, <laughs> that's something we can do. We'll fill whatever holes you have. <laughs> I've been there. Pick a date, any date. I'm so confused where we are with the dates, oh. so I'll probably just touch base later if that's okay. It's a good idea. Okay. So we're pretty close to being filled out, aren't we? I heard a lot of dates being tossed out. We don't yeah, have still to do November, January. November 14th we still have. No, yeah, it was basically we weren't having another meeting to hit that November Right. block, so right. I could redo it and send it back out, and you can see what's left. Yeah, okay. Now I can do November 14th, if that's oh, okay. open. Oh, okay. All right, so there you oh, gave me the wrong date. Oh. <laughs> Unless we oh, fight you didn't over say. Yes, yeah, something else? Okay. Yeah, I'll just send it back out with what okay. we Okay, good. Right. Any other items on um, that packet? I would like to bring attention to IP 12 submitted. Basically, the whole idea on that was to um, provide information on some, an initiative um, we're beginning to work on um, with city staff, hopefully, um, and that um, the idea is to provide, require um, landlord, uh, tenant, or tenant landlord law um, and voter registration information on uh, time of move on. Obviously, there's some, uh, there might be some complexities involved with that. Um, but in addition, um, I forgot what I was going to say. But um, <laughs> point being, if there's other ways to go about it instead of a requirement, um, that's also a possibility. But I was just hoping um, to send this out um, and hope you can give some direction or um, feedback or anything like that on the memo. A friend had sent me uh, what's been included in our uh, 
late handouts packages IP12 um, regarding landlord voter registration in St. Paul, which went along with, with what you were talking about. Uh, so I was pleased to see the request from student government uh, for a measure requiring voter registration in the packets, because uh, voter turnout or, or lack of, has always been an issue in, in the area. Um, and something like this could certainly help uh, uh, the renters to become engaged in the political process. So I, I think it's a good idea, whatever uh, we can Eleanor, do. Eleanor, does state law permit us to require I, something like this? I have like a this? number of concerns with that. Yeah, I thought you that. would. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, so maybe you can connect with Gustav about that or get back to us what in some form of memo. <clears throat> I assume you're interested in doing it if we can. Is yeah, it sounded promising to me. Okay. Yeah, I really appreciate your initiative on that. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. IP16, I just wanted to make a quick comment on that because we get this report on a regular basis and there always are uh, the re same recurring offenders. And so at this time, I just wanted to uh, commend the establishments that uh, have consistently had, had good reports and um, thank you for doing your due diligence on this issue. Uh, so IP13 has to do with this, uh, the gateway celebration. Alas, we had to cancel it and that's what that particular uh, um, information item is about. But I understand that the road will and bridge will be fully open for homecoming. And then after homecoming, it'll be parts of it will be closed to do some touch-up work, right? So that's really good to know. Is it going to open, like, you know, fully open on in the morning on Friday, or do you know, Ron? It'll be sometime on Friday, so I'm guessing I would say midday. I'll be down there waiting the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a spot for you. <laughs> okay, can we move on to council updates? I, um, I want to talk schedule sure. just r real quick. We've got uh, two issues. One, I'd like to lock down the date for the 12 court work session, and I think um, Kelly's been working through that, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, with not a lot of success. Because um, I know Jim's going to be out of town the 7th, 8th, and 9th. I think Mazza and Bruce have conflicts with the 30th, although Bruce said he could call in. Um, I'm not sure I heard from Pauline for the 12 East Court work session discussion. Oh, I, I thought I did. Um, it's it's oh, kind of split. Bruce needs to be present for that. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of split. Um, so I don't know, Jeff... Although with this other item coming up for work session, had maybe suggested this. Well, we could do it with the uh, on your next work session on November. Was it sixth? Is part of your regular meeting? If we're having we, trouble, we'd have to start earlier if we did that. Yeah, I agree. Four. That probably makes sense. Start at four and do the. You want to do the Taylor Davis issue right at four and then get into twelve court. Yeah, oh, well. I think the Taylor Davis thing will be f pretty brief. Yeah, I think so. Rather do that first or second? Second. Second? I, I, second. Well, hmm. I, I personally would rather make sure we get the 12 Court Street. That is. Yeah, yeah. first. Yeah. So that sound okay? 4, 4 p.m.? 4 p.m. start to the November 6th meeting. November 6th, yeah. Okay. And what would you like staff? Do you want staff to present anything on that? You want us to refresh you on the project? Uh, mm -hmm. I'll tell you what I think we need. Uh, 
because we have new members who haven't gone through this, we need to have background information about the, uh, the um, riverfront crossings master plan as it applies to that area and information about when that plan was developed and what very quickly what the process was because there was a lot of public involvement in that and then we need to know about the form-based code what it says about that particular area especially with regard to height bonuses because they're like i don't know 12 kind of actions that potentially would warrant height bonuses like student housing is up to five stories, art is a one story, and so on, those kinds of things. We need to know those things. That, that would provide us with the background information we need, and then we can be focusing on uh, 12 court in particular. Okay. So the, the stuff I just described, we can't spend an hour going over it, but we need to have enough of an overview so that Bruce and Maz and others who were not involved in that process would be able to know what that background is all about. Understood. We can do that. The second scheduling uh, issue is the January meetings. Did we get those in the? It was in the late handouts. So in your, so in your late handouts, we have our January meeting schedule. And uh, Kelly, I don't have that right in front of me. Can you remind me? Are we still showing a meeting on January 1st, the holiday? No. We no, showed the second. We're showing the second. Okay. So second just want to. So, yeah, the budget ones were down for the 5th, Saturday the 5th, and Tuesday oh. the 8th. Oh, I'm sorry. The first. Well, the first would be your regular meeting. It would be the first Tuesday is, is a holiday. Mm -hmm. right. so, so we're showing the second for that. So I just want to make sure that you all have that on do you mean your I don't have it on no. my calendar. Wednesday the second. I'm sorry, it may not have said the second. I don't think it did. That's no, what it's showing on the... It didn't. I was looking at something else. I don't think I pushed it to... Yeah. Hey, is there a way we can do it on the 8th and the 22nd? Because still, we have five Tuesday on that month. If we can do one on the 8th, one on the 22nd. Yeah, so are there any complications associated with having our first meeting on January the 8th? That's what you're saying, right? Yes. I, I don't see any complications, but. I mean, there would be a budget discussion in the afternoon. No, what? No, we're going to have the budget. Yeah, that's right. There's the a budget eight. discussion yeah. in the afternoon. Yeah, so we'd have to have a, that. Yeah, right. What, what, or, or we could move the budget meeting. What would he mean by that? We typically have a couple of council work sessions on the budget in January, the first uh, being an all-day session on the first Saturday, Saturday of January, which would be the 5th. Uh -huh. So we want to make sure that that date works for you. Again, that's a typically a full day. Uh, we did the breakfast or budget on a breakfast last mm -hmm. year. Yes. And then we follow that up the following Tuesday with a discussion on the capital improvements plan, which is typically in an afternoon. So we could, I mean, if you really were feeling up for it, we could do the budget work session and then get into the council meeting and maybe asking a little much if we have a heavy agenda. Yeah, so we, too much we could move the, we could explore some other dates for the budget work session mm -hmm. with you if you'd rather have your regular council meeting on the 8th. There's no... But we can do the, the one on the 8th is the CI, Capital Improvements Program discussion. Yes. So let's see if we can find another can move date that. for that. But okay. do the, the regular full day, full Saturday day um, budget discussion on the 5th as currently scheduled. Sure. 
Okay. And then the regular meetings, the 8th and the 22nd, the 2nd and 4th Tuesdays? Yeah, I think that's what we said, yeah. I'll put that in my recap email so everybody's clear <laughs> on what those dates are. And I'm confused. <laughs> I put the All right, confusion that. abounds. 7 or 8 in the morning on Saturday. Uh, we, I think we start at 8. 8? Okay. That's on the 5th. We might, we might do a 7.30 with the breakfast on the budget. Uh, we may have started... Okay, so you know that worked really well last time. So should invite Kingsley. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's invoke Kingsley's spirit and do that. <laughs> okay. Drive we'll down from Waterloo. <laughs> yeah. No. Asking you to call in. It, it, yeah. It's from from eight to what? What time? It'll be on Facebook Live, right? Two or three. Okay. Okay. Yes. okay. So we're done with that, right? Yep. Yes. Thank you. Okay, we have uh, council updates, but I'm going to suggest, given the time, that we do all the council updates at, as part of our work session. I'm just part of the final meeting at the end. Yeah. All right. Sounds to me like we're done for right now. <laughs>